Well, that was a uh, slick way of saying he's old, I think. I'm not sure. But uh, hey, it's good to be here. Welcome to the Arctic Tundra campus of Grace Church. It's been crazy the last couple weekends, right? I want you to do me a favor right out of the gate. Grab your Bibles if you brought them with you. And I want you to flip them open to John chapter 8. Just lay that in your lap. If uh, you're not familiar with your Bible, your Bible is split into two parts. There's a Old Testament, that's the first part of your Bible, and then there's a New Testament, second part of your Bible. John's in the second part of your Bible, which is the New Testament. Go to chapter 8 and just lay it in your lap. We're going to be there in a little bit. I want to let you know as you're turning there, it is a privilege to be here today. Love the opportunity to come and check out your new digs. This is incredible. It's awesome to see what God's doing here at Medina. And I also want to let you know this, that I absolutely love, absolutely love your campus pastor, Pastor Tony. Uh, seven years ago, when we were thinking about coming here to hang out at the, in the greater Akron area at Grace Church, uh, my wife and I came kind of as secret shoppers to the Norton campus, and we didn't tell them we were coming, just kind of wanted to check out what was going on at Grace Church. And Pastor Tony Levigny was the first pastor of Grace Church that I ever heard preach. And I walked away from there thinking, my goodness, I think I heard one of the best communicators of God's Word I've ever heard. Pastor Tony does an incredible job of teaching God's Word and of leading. So I absolutely love him, the staff here. Love the chance that our campus has to hear from him this morning and uh, hoping that God will use him in a mighty way. I'd love it if you'd do me a favor and let's just pray because we need God to speak to us. I don't want to speak to you. I want him to speak through me this morning. So if we could do that, that'd be great. So Father, we give ourselves to you. We're praying in these next several moments together that you'd lean into us however you desire. God, we come in here with a lot of different stuff. I don't know everybody in this room, but uh, whatever they came in with, you are very aware of. And so we believe that on this cold, wintry day, none of us are here by accident. We're here on purpose, that you have a purpose. And so, God, I pray this morning you'd show us what that purpose is. And God, as you show us what that purpose is, I pray that you would challenge us and that you'd change us. Father, draw us into a deeper understanding and reality of who you are and the good news of the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this series we're in. We're in a series called My Life Changed When. And in this series, all we're saying is that we each have a story. You have a story and I have a story. Your story is different than my story. My story is different than your story. Our stories are very unique. In fact, the first week we said this, that our stories are kind of a unique gift, right, that has been given to us by God. Literally, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we're his workmanship. And the original word there is that we're his poema. We're his poem, his masterpiece, his literary masterpiece. That our story is kind of his literary masterpiece that he gives to each of us. And obviously it changes us, right? But what we've been saying is that our story has been uniquely given to us. And it has the opportunity to infect and affect other people along the way. We can all look at our life and we all can find my life change moments. 
you look at poignant, significant moments in your life, and you're like, man, that's a my life change moment. For most of us, it's big moments, right? It's, it's the celebrations, so to speak. You can look at the big celebrations of your life and say, wow, that's when my life changed. And hopefully it's a, it's, it's a remembrance of joy. It's maybe when you got married, maybe when you had your first kid, graduated from high school, got your first job, whatever it might be. For me, my life changed when I married Jennifer, my wife, 25 years ago. I've been married 25 years to Jennifer. And I can tell you this, my life changed, never to be the same again. Love the fact that I get to be married to who I would consider my best friend. And so we all have those my life change moments that are kind of celebratory in nature. But it's not just celebrations, right? Sometimes it's the unplanned transitions that change our life. Things that we didn't see coming. Maybe a change of job, a change of venue, a change of season in life, whatever it might be. I can look back in my life and I'm like, man, my life changed seven years ago when I uprooted my family from everything they knew and we moved to the greater Akron area. My life totally changed in the life of my kids and my wife. But if we're really honest... It's not just celebration, right? It's not just transition. But if we look back on our life, probably all of us in this room say, you know something? Some of the biggest my life changed moments in our life is when we endured pain. Some deep valleys. You can look at times in your life, maybe times that were totally unexpected, times you didn't see coming, times where there was betrayal, hurt, loss, emptiness, whatever it might be. And you're like, man, that was a moment when my life changed and my life changed drastically I can look back at my life and I can see some my life changed moments that were moments of pain about 14 years ago about 14 years ago one of the most optimistic people you would ever have met was me and 14 years ago out of the blue never saw it coming depression hit me like a Mack truck just about knocked me out of ministry for good Never had experienced it, never saw it coming. It has changed me as a person. It has changed me as a pastor. It has changed the way I look at life. Those are my life changed moments. I hope you'll do us a favor and that you will think through your my life changed moments and allow those to be captured and then share those with others. I want to share one of mine with you this morning. Can I do that? My life changed when I was in the fourth grade. When I was in the fourth grade... I had a my life change moment that left a lasting impression on me that I remember to this day. I grew up religious. I was in a religious home. In fact, beyond that, my daddy was a preacher. So here's what that meant. We went to church a lot. In fact, the church I grew up in, here's how it worked. You went to church on Sunday morning kind of like we're doing here, but that wasn't enough, right? We'd have service like this, and then after we'd have a service like this, you know what we'd do? We'd go to Sunday school, is what we'd go to. We had classes after the service, and they were age-specific classes. So you would go to your age-specific class. That wasn't enough. We'd come back Sunday night, and we'd do church again. But that wasn't enough in the home I grew up in, the church I grew up in. We'd come back every Wednesday night. We'd come twice Sunday morning, once Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and then every other week we'd come back on Monday night just for good measure. I grew up going to church a lot. When I was in the fourth grade, we'd have services like this. And after we'd have services like this, we'd go to Sunday school. And in the fourth grade, I don't know why, but it wasn't just age-specific classes. It was gender-specific. Here's what that meant. 
that meant that in the fourth grade, I went with not just fourth graders, but it was simply fourth grade boys. And our class was in this old room in the corner of the church building up in the balcony. And we had a teacher. His name was Jim. That's all I'll tell you this morning, right? And I don't know how to say this, but Jim was, I'm not sure how to say it politely, but Jim was, he was boring. <laughs> That's not the only way I know to say it, right? We hated Sunday school. Me and my pals, we'd do anything we could do to get out of going to Sunday school because Jim was almost like torture to have to sit and listen to for an entire hour. Now, here's what happened in the fourth grade. I had this boring Sunday school, and there was also something else very significant happened in the fourth grade, and that was this. My parents, for Christmas that year, saved up and bought me something that I wanted so bad, asked them for. It was cutting edge technology when I was in the fourth grade. Now, you got to understand, this was before Xbox, before PlayStation, before all that kind of stuff. My mom and dad saved up and bought me an electronic football game. I don't know. Do we have a picture of it we can throw on the screen? Anybody recognize that? Anybody ever seen one of that? Raise your hand. You know what that means? That means you're old. That's what that means, okay? You see, the way this thing worked when I was in the fourth grade, those little, uh, there was a little screen there, and there were dashes, and you kind of used those dashes to get away from the other dashes because the dashes were the players, right? That was the digital technology of the day. And, man, I got my electronic football game, and my imagination ran wild. I mean, I could play that thing all day. I'd play seasons on that thing. I'd play the playoffs. I'd play the Super Bowl, college football, whatever. I'd just sit there and play with that thing. I loved my electronic football game, which meant I knew two things in the fourth grade. You know what I knew? I knew that I loved my electronic football game, and I hated Sunday school in the fourth grade. And a plan was hatched. Here's how the plan went. 9.30 every Sunday... We'd have service like this. Right after the service, I would exit the service and I would go down into the bottom floor of our church building. There was classrooms down there, but there was one classroom underneath the steps. It was dark. It was dingy. There was no window in there. So when you turned the lights off, it was pitch black. It was the perfect place for me to hatch my plan. 10.30, I would go to the bottom of those steps, look this way, look that way. I'd have my little electronic football game in my pocket. I would go in there, shut the door, turn the lights out, mute my game, crawl under the table, and for an entire hour, I'd play electronic football during Sunday school. I would sit under that table, and I'd think to myself, this is how Sunday school ought to be, is what I thought to myself. I would sit under there. I'm sorry if there's kids in the room, by the way. I didn't look it out. But I would sit around and think to myself, this is incredible. I love Sunday school, right? And I would sit under there week after week and just play this game. Everything was great, guys. I loved it. It was awesome. I loved it. My plan was working. My bases were covered. And then all of a sudden I realized, didn't see it coming, but this plan that was so great got really complicated. All of a sudden, it became really exhausting for me to manage my secret. I had a secret. It was working. I loved it. But I never thought about the fact that I would have to manage it. You see, it got really hard. It got really, really hard. I would run into my Sunday school teacher, and he'd say to me, Danny, we miss you in class. I'd lie to him and say, I miss you too, right? I wasn't telling the truth. And he'd say, where are you? And this is what I'd say. This is no lie. I'd say, well, you know, Jim, 
My dad's the pastor, and he has me running errands during that hour. I'm sorry I can't be in class. Don't judge me this morning, okay? But I would just lie to him. My dad then at the lunch table, he'd say, Keith, that was my older brother, how was Sunday school? Well, it was good, Dad, and this is what happened. Stephanie, that's my sister, how was Sunday school? She'd tell him, and I knew he's coming to me next, and my wheels were turning. And I thought, how am I going to manage this? My dad, and so he'd say, Danny, how's Sunday school? And I'd say, well, Dad, it's, it's going great, it's going wonderful, and then I knew I had to do something to distract him. I had to get him off of my Sunday school. And I'd say, but you know, Jimmy, boy, he was really bad in class today, Dad. And I'd get him talking about Jimmy is what I'd do. I was doing everything I could to manage my secret, to try to somehow navigate the secret little Sunday school scheme that I had created. I was in deep, guys. There was no way I could turn back until the day my life changed. I'll never forget it. 10.30, I perched underneath that table. I was sitting there playing my little electronic football game. It was pitch black in there, and my game was muted. I was having a blast. And then all of a sudden, into my heavenly darkness came some unwelcomed light. The door opened, and I froze. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I studied that door, and as more and more light encroached in my dark little world, all of a sudden, I saw a pair of shoes, and I studied those shoes. Under that table, I thought, I recognize those shoes. Black wingtips, if I remember right. I thought, I've seen my daddy shine those shoes. Sure enough, my dad was standing at that door. And I thought to myself, he's the pastor of the church. Shouldn't he be in Sunday school? What's he doing down here is what I thought. He said, Danny, are you in here? I couldn't breathe, guys. I thought for one brief minute of saying no just to throw him off. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I caught myself. I was paralyzed in my prison. He said it again. Danny, are you in here? I stayed still, frozen. I thought, if my dad finds me under this table, my life is over for good. And all of a sudden, I realized that my daddy, who called my name twice, asked if I was in there, was no longer standing at the door. You know what had happened? My daddy, who was standing at the door, went from standing at the door, all of a sudden, he was stooping (laughs) under the table. And he said, Danny, I know you're in here. And I realized my dad wasn't looking for information at that point. (laughs) My dad was looking for me to agree with what he already knew. Guys, I can tell you something. My life changed that day in more ways than you can imagine. You meet me after the service, I'll tell you some of those ways. But why do I tell you that story? I'll tell you why I tell you that story. Because the chances are in a room this size, some of you are sitting here today and you're exhausted. You're exhausted managing a secret, navigating another life. You're exhausted because you think to yourself, if, if people find out what I'm doing when no one else is watching, my life is over. It will be done. If people figure out where I go on the computer, who I'm texting, the relationship that I'm cultivating, if people figure out what I'm addicted to and have been able to cover up, my life is over. And some of you are sitting here and you may be just totally exhausted this morning trying to navigate that. Others of you may be sitting here this morning and a little bit of light start to peek in on your secret and you're paralyzed, you're frozen, you're not moving. 
you're thinking to yourself, the minute this gets exposed, everything changes for me. And you are studying the shoes of the accuser at the door, so to speak. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm waiting for them to throw the book at me. And then there's a lot of us, if we're honest, if we're honest, we've gotten really, really good at covering up our secret. If we're honest, we've gotten good at masking it with morality. We've gotten really good at covering it up with spirituality. And you know what? We get so good at it. You know what we do? We get people distracted because we become so good at it that we begin to throw rocks at other people just to keep them off our trail. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that many of us go through life frozen, paralyzed in this prison of our secret. And we think to ourselves, there is no way I can expose this. There's no way anybody can find out. Here's what happens. We find that it's really, really easy to all of a sudden begin to live a secret. Then it becomes really hard to manage a secret. And then we think it'll be impossible for me to expose the secret. Because my life's going to change. It's fascinating. In the Bible, there's a story of a woman whose secret got exposed in a drastic way. And her secret got exposed and she thought her life was over. And the moment she thought her life was over, Jesus kind of threw her a curveball. If you have your Bibles open there, we're going to look at John chapter 8. Let's just read it. Make some observations. In your Bible, it may be in different font. You may be like, what in the world? It's different print in my Bible. Why is that? Let me just explain that. A lot of scholars aren't sure where to put this in the Bible, if it should fit here in the Bible, what to do with it. But most scholars would say this is a story that happened in the life of Jesus that literally illustrates the heart of Jesus and is consistent with the message of Jesus. Here's how the story goes. Verse 2, at dawn... Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Basically, Jesus is having a Bible study and he's sitting with all these people and he's teaching them the Bible. Then all of a sudden, his Bible study is interrupted in the most dramatic of fashions. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Guys, put yourself in the scene. Do you see what's happening here? He's teaching this Bible study. He's sitting, teaching the Bible to these people. And then all of a sudden, the religious people, the teachers of the law, the respected ones in the church, so to speak, they all of a sudden break into his Bible study and they interrupt it, but they're not alone. They literally drag into the middle of his Bible study a woman who it says was caught in the act of adultery. What... They're saying is they literally drug her out of bed. The problem is she wasn't in bed with her husband. She was in bed with someone else's husband. And they stood her right in front of Jesus in the middle of this crowd. Can you imagine the scene? She had to be totally frazzled, totally humiliated, totally exposed. There's nowhere for her to hide. The Bible says at that point, they said to Jesus, Teacher, verse 4, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the Bible, they're saying, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
the details of her secret were laid out for everybody to see, everybody to hear. The stones of her accusers had already been picked out, right? And they're ready to execute judgment. You know, to make matters worse, they're right. Leviticus chapter 20 says that that's exactly what the law of Moses says. Jesus does something very interesting. Jesus, remember, he's sitting. I want you to pay attention to the posture of Jesus. Jesus goes from sitting, and look at what it says in verse 6. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus was sitting, and he was teaching the Bible. Instead of standing and responding, he bends down, and he starts to write in the dirt. Wouldn't you love to know what he was writing? The actual Greek word that they use there says this, that he might have been drawing a picture. That that word is used and it actually could mean he was drawing a picture. I don't know. I would give anything to know what he was drawing. But he stooped in the middle of their question and they kept pestering Jesus. They kept asking their question. Verse 7, look what it says. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. And he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The sitting Jesus stoops, and when they wouldn't let it go, he stands and looks at these guys and he says, you're right. You're right. Let's execute judgment. I just have one request. The one of you in the mob who doesn't have sin, you throw the first stone. And then it says, Jesus goes from standing to stooping again. And he continues to write on the ground. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Guys, do you see what's happening? The executing mob is now the exiting mob. And all you can hear is <laughs> rocks dropping one at a time. From oldest to youngest, they start dropping their rocks, exiting the scene. Until the only one's left, if I'm reading this right, is the one who deserved judgment and the only one in the crowd who had the credentials to execute judgment. Interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating at that moment what happens. Verse 10, Jesus goes from stooping to standing again. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, verse 11, no one, sir, then neither do I. I want you to go now and leave your life of sin. What a fascinating story, guys. Jesus says, woman, where are your condemners? She had to be looking around and say, I don't know, but you're still here. <laughs> there's one left, and there's a pile of rocks. <laughs> Jesus looked at this woman on the day she thought her life might end. And he says, neither do I. Now go leave your life of sin. And this woman, on what she thought would be the worst day of her life, all of a sudden it became the most liberating day of her life. Fascinating to me. You ask yourself this question. How in the world could Jesus say that to her, right? I mean, how, how could Jesus, let's just be honest, guys. How could Jesus say to this woman... I don't condemn you. Go leave your life of sin. It's a good question. If you're somebody who's engaged in this, you're like, well, how could he? Is Jesus just soft on sin? 
Does Jesus kind of like just turn a blind eye to sin and say, yeah, it's okay, don't worry about it. Just try harder next time not to do that, okay? Is that what Jesus is doing? Not on your life. Not on your life. What is so incredible about this scene is the only one in the crowd who had no sin, the only one in the crowd who had the right to throw the book at her, the only one in the crowd who had the right to stand and throw stones at her, stooped when they brought her to him. This morning, I, I, don't, know any, I don't know many of your stories, but maybe you came in here with a secret quite possible you came in here with a secret and it's quite possible somebody drugged you here today. I don't know. Maybe your husband made you come. Maybe your wife nagged you to come. Maybe your parents made you come. But maybe you came expecting to find a God who was going to throw the book at you. I don't know. Or maybe you came expecting to find a church that was going to throw stones at you. Because maybe that's how you grew up. And you're like, if somehow the secret that I'm holding, the, the secret that I'm hiding ever got known, I'm pretty sure God would throw the book at me. I'm pretty sure the church would throw stones at me. And this morning, this story turns everything you thought on its head. Because here's what the story tells us. That in the Bible, the only one who has the authority and the right to throw the book at us to throw stones at us. Instead, he is the one who came to this earth not to throw the book, not to throw stones, but to stoop to a cross and rescue sinners. You already know what John 3 says. John 3, 16 and 17 says this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Look what it says next. Verse 17 is very, very important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here's the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is Jesus is God with skin on. And God with skin on stooped to rescue, to rescue sinners from themselves. The day my dad showed up in that room, he stooped under that table. You know what he was doing? He was rescuing Dan from Dan. That's what he was doing. The gospel says that Jesus Christ stooped. And when he did, he died on the cross for all of the secret stuff. The stuff no one else knows about. The stuff that you're working hard to navigate. The stuff that you're making sure stays hidden. He stooped to the earth and died. What she thought was going to be the day her life ended was actually the day life began. It's why some of you in the room possibly needed to hear this story this morning. Some of you are so exhausted hiding and navigating your secret that you think to yourself, it could be the day my life ends. And Jesus says, no, 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 you got it wrong. Today could be the day that you experience freedom and healing. Well, it begs the question, how in the world does that happen? There's three things. You flip your programs over, three things I want you to write down, we'll be done. But they're very important in the story. How in the world 
can you and I experience a my life change moment in a way that is liberating, freeing, and healing in the midst of the secrets that we hold in our heart? First is this. If we're going to experience that kind of healing and that kind of freedom, then we have to agree with what the stooping Jesus already knows. I want you to write it down that way. We have to begin by agreeing with what the stooping Jesus already knows. It's probably good for us to get something straight this morning. Can we get something straight? That the guys who drugged this woman to Jesus weren't informing Jesus of anything. Did you know that? It's important to know. They dragged this lady in the presence of Jesus and like, Hey, Jesus, uh, <clears throat> we caught her in bed with another guy that wasn't her husband, and we thought you ought to know that. Jesus already knew. <laughs> They weren't telling Jesus anything he didn't already know. Jesus was already well aware of this woman's secret. He was already well aware of why they were bringing her. And he was sitting there teaching the Bible. And guys, you know what I think? And I'm reading between the lines. But I think they drug him to Jesus in the middle of this Bible study. And you know what I think they were hoping? I think they were hoping that Jesus was going to throw the book at her. That's what I think they were hoping. Throw the book at her, Jesus. I mean, you got the Bible open, just throw the book at her. And then after you throw the book at her, why don't you stand up with us and let's give it to her? Interesting, right? Jesus instead stooped. And in much the same way, you're here this morning. And you maybe came expecting Jesus to throw the book at you, to stand and throw rocks at you. And instead, he stooped and he died. Listen close. For the sin that he already knows about that you're working hard to hide. Hebrews 4 says this. Hebrews 4, we'll throw it on the screen, says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He's the one to whom we are accountable. This is so important, guys. Jesus is already well aware of the secret you're hiding this morning. If you came hiding a secret... He's already well aware of it, and he stooped anyways. He stooped anyways to die for the secret sin that you're navigating. Nobody else knows. I get it. No one else in your family knows. No one else at work knows, and yet he's standing at the door. And can I tell you something? He's not looking for information this morning. He already knows. He's looking for agreement. That's what confession is, guys. That's what it means to confess our sin, is to agree with what he already says and how he evaluates. That's what it means to confess. And this morning for some of you, he's standing at the door and he's like, hey, are you in there? I already know the deep weeds you're in. I already am very aware, aware that you're flirting with danger. I already know that you're cultivating a relationship that you shouldn't be. I'm very aware of the secret addiction that you have worked hard to hide from everybody else, the double life that you're living. I am already very aware of why you're in financial trouble and the decisions that you've made that you've been able to hide from your wife. And I love you. And I'm stooping to save you from you. Jesus is not soft on sin. To say Jesus is soft on sin erases and minimizes the power of the cross. Jesus stooped to die 
for our secret sin. Listen close to what I want to tell you, okay? Listen close. Jesus looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. How could he say that to her? You want to know how he could say it? He says, I do not condemn you because I'm going to be condemned for you. I will not throw the book at you. Why? Because at the cross, I'm going to have the book thrown at me for you. I am not going to stand and throw stones at you. Why? Because at the cross, I'm going to die in your place. Here's what Isaiah 53 says, guys. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 5, says, But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Guys, we'll race to the next point. They, think about this. You ever think about this? They drug her to the best possible place they could have drug her. She might have come kicking and screaming. But they drug that woman in front of the best possible place she could find herself. They were hoping Jesus would throw the book at her. They were hoping that Jesus was going to join them and throw rocks at her. Instead, Jesus stooped and was able to speak into her life something that would bring healing and freedom. This morning, you're in the best possible place you could be because I can tell you about a Jesus who isn't going to throw the book at you who isn't going to throw rocks at you. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he stooped to the cross for you. And here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. He stooped, but then he stood. He stooped, but then he stood. And he said to her, go now, leave your life of sin. It's interesting. This is so important, guys. What's going on here? Well, Jesus Christ, when he came, he stooped to this earth and he died on the cross. You know the story. They put him in a tomb, right? Three days, rose again. He didn't stay dead. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. He's alive. And because he's alive, you know what that means? It's so important. That means at the cross, he signed the check for your sin, all of your secret sin. But when he rose again from the dead, you know what that means? It's so cool. It means the check didn't bounce. And because the check didn't bounce, he has the authority to declare what was accomplished at the cross. And this morning, he has the authority to do what Romans 8, chapter 1, or chapter 8, verse 1 says. Look what it says. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He stooped, he died on the cross, and he stands and he declares... There is no condemnation. Listen to me, this is so, so key. Today, for those who will trust the stooping Savior, he is the living Lord who stands and declares, you are forgiven. Therefore, go live the rest of your life, not trying to earn my forgiveness, but knowing you are forgiven. He stands and declares, you are my child. Go live the rest of your life, not trying to earn your way into my family, but live as one of my children. He stands and declares, nothing will separate you from my love. Now go live the rest of your life in the security 
of knowing you are loved by me and nothing can ever separate you from that love. He said to the woman, go now leave your life of sin. You know what he wasn't saying? Guys, if you grew up in church, I want you to really dial in now. He wasn't saying, now go try really hard to live a good life. Isn't that what happens? Some people in our experience, we go from guilt, the secret sin that we're harboring, and then all of a sudden we, we come to Christ and we become Christians, and then it's all about grit. I'm going to work really hard, right, to be a good Christian. That's what we do. It's not what Jesus is saying to her. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to go now live in light of what I have declared about you. I want you to live not for a verdict from me, but from the verdict you have from me. Here's what I want you to write down. You and I are going to experience this kind of hope and healing. We've got to believe what the standing Jesus declares. We've got to believe what the standing Jesus declares. Here's the deal, guys. Some of you got a secret. Some of you are managing your secret. And you know what I can't promise you this morning? I can't promise you that she'll take you back. I can't promise you that your kids are going to understand. I can't promise you that your boss is going to let you have your job. I can't promise you that there won't be ramifications and consequences. But I can promise you this, that Jesus is God with skin on who's not ready to throw the book at you or to throw stones at you. But he said, I came so that I might take your place for the secret sin that you right now are paralyzed in the prison of. Aren't you tired this morning maybe of living in that secret? There's the opportunity of freedom, hope. Now, it'd be real easy to stop right there, right? And maybe we should. A lot of people would say, wow, yeah, Dan, for people who are here today that are living in a secret like that woman, this is a great story. And I've heard it preached that way, right? The woman's the main character of the story. But there's a bunch of guys in the story that don't ever get talked about. And you know what's fascinating? These guys came into the story and they're holding their stones. They're ready to execute judgment. She deserved judgment. But you know what I find interesting in this story? Did you, did you see it when we read it? She wasn't the only one with a secret in the story. These cats all were carrying their rocks And Jesus, with one exposing comment, exposed all of the secrets of their heart. He said, if you don't got any sin that you're hiding, go ahead and throw. And the stones in their hands were simply covering the sin in their heart. Can we just get real this morning? Can can we just get real? We all have secrets. We all have secrets. Secret pride, secret jealousy, secret ambition, secret anger, secret lust. I was reading somewhere the last couple weeks, someone wrote, if the inner thoughts of a man were written on his forehead, he'd never take his hat off. Think about it. We all have secrets. And I think we get really good at covering our secrets with being spiritual and moral. And then we get really good sometimes as Christ followers and we get really opinionated and really convicted and we begin to throw rocks at other people, right? We get jaded, sarcastic, cynical, kind of picking apart the other people out there, those people, you know? And I think what Jesus, the stooping Jesus, simply does 
is he stoops and he stands and he says, listen, you got secrets and you will never experience the healing that you want, need, desire until you confess the secret sin your stones are hiding. Confession is not the same as getting caught. It's not what confession is. Those guys that dropped the rocks, they made a mistake. They all left and never experienced the healing they could have had from the one in whose presence they found themselves. The only one that experienced it was who? The woman who stayed. You see, confession involves me humbly and honestly agreeing with Jesus. You got secret sin? Guys, I know they gave me a heavy sermon to travel with. I, I get that. I get it. But some of you may be in the room this morning, you got secret sin. And maybe the stones that you're carrying are covering it. I don't know. And here's what you're afraid of. You're afraid if I expose that sin, God's going to kick me out. Can I tell you something? When my daddy found me, I had some consequence. But you know something my daddy didn't do? He didn't say, Dan, you are no longer in our family. He saved me from me. This morning, some of you may have secret sin that your stones are covering. And you're living paralyzed, can't breathe, can't move, immobilized, threatened, afraid. And Jesus says, if you'll just agree with what I already know, freedom starts to come. I was condemned to a cross for you. Some of you are in the room and you didn't even know God was that way. You've never experienced that freedom that the gospel gives. Guys, that's the place to begin. That's what the gospel is. He says, I don't condemn you. I was condemned for you. I'm not going to throw the book at you. I had the book thrown at me for you. I'm not going to throw stones at you. I died on a cross in your place. And your life, my friend, might change the very day your secret becomes exposed in the presence of the one who loves you. So, Father, as we close, I love the chance to talk to this group. And as we consider this story of Jesus, I thank you so much that you love us. God, in the quietness in this moment, there may be some here who have never, ever embraced the stooping savior and and if i could just take a moment that might be you if you've never ever ever accepted the message of the gospel you there in your seat can talk to god he loves you he already knows what you've been hiding from everybody else and you simply can talk to him you can be real with him about all the stuff he already knows and just agree with him on it that it is sin and that Jesus, when he died, died in your place. And you can leave today living in light of what he declares to be true about you. You're forgiven. You're his child. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. God, I thank you that in our secrets there's freedom. And that freedom is found in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.